You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Isaiah, chapter 49. You'll find it on uh, page 736 of the church Bible. I'm going to read from verse 8. This is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor I will answer you, and in the day of salvation I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. This is God's word, and we're going to look at this now, and it is God's word. It was God's word for his people when it was written, when they were in exile, when their city was destroyed, when the temple was destroyed, when it looked as though uh, the forces of evil were absolutely rampant and would indeed wipe the Lord's people from the face of the earth. And it's God's word for us, whatever circumstances we face. And I'm particularly concerned for anyone here who's not a Christian or for those of you who are Christians. But to be honest, your Christianity is kind of there and your heart's over here, and it's, there's a disconnect. And I hope as you'll become connected as we go along. Now, in a strange kind of way, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about loneliness. We often pray for people who are ill, and rightly so. And there are people who lose their jobs, and we remember them. People who are facing persecution, and we remember them. But in the words of the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? And I know that right in front of me, some of you sitting in a crowd like this are still desperately, desperately lonely. David Bowie died uh, last Sunday. And he's a complex character, uh, a lifestyle that you would never commend. And interesting for me, that the media have overall largely lauded and praised him, and yet, like Jimmy Savile, he also abused young people. He openly admitted of uh, being involved with a 13-year-old girl and others as well. Very complex, very confused character, and very interesting character in terms of uh, our culture today. He did a phenomenal interview a few years ago, and who knows what was working in his life uh, over these past years, because unusually for a celebrity, he kept himself to himself in the last years. Uh, 
And his last album is profoundly sad and profoundly um, evocative of death and of eternity, as though he knew what was coming. But in that interview, he said this. He said, I felt alone at the height of his fame, at the height of his power, if you like, at the height of being able to attract any girl that he wanted or boy. He said this, I felt totally, absolutely alone. And then for me, the most interesting bit, and I probably was alone because I had pretty much abandoned God. Really interesting. I, had, I was alone because I had abandoned God. I think there's an even deeper loneliness, perhaps, or even an even deeper fear. What if God has abandoned us? What if we feel alone because we, we think that God has abandoned us? Now, I believe that that's what the Lord's people in exile at this time must have felt like. And I am sure that some of you here feel like that because you have sinned and because reluctant as you are to admit to it, you feel within yourself that God must have left you alone or because the joy that you used to have as a believer has gone and you feel that God must have abandoned you or because there's one trouble and then there's another trouble and then there's another trouble and it just, it just seems as though it never, ever stops. And you think, why has God abandoned me? That is a temptation and sometimes maybe a reality for the Lord's people throughout all history. And this is God's answer. Firstly, this is the day of salvation. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. This is referring back to the Levitical year of Jubilee, when the time had come, when debts were to be forgiven, and so on. The fullness of the times. That comes ultimately in Jesus Christ. Paul quotes this verse in 2 Corinthians 6. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Isn't that interesting? There's an interesting thought. There's something for you to discuss. I'm not going to go into it just now because we'd be here till 3. And most of you are not that hardcore. Um, you'll learn. But it is, isn't it an interesting thing that you can receive God's grace in vain? How strange. God's grace. How do you receive that in vain? Because God brings you his word. Because God speaks to you. Because God works in your life. And then you go home and it doesn't make any difference to you. And you don't listen and you carry on your life. As if nothing had happened. As if God had said nothing. As if it wasn't true. That's receiving God's grace in vain. And Paul says, I don't want you to receive. I urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you. And in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Wouldn't that be absolutely wonderful if that were true? You wander into this church, burdened with many things, concerned about many things, and what God is saying to you, now. Now is the time. Now is the time of my favor. Now is the time of salvation. He goes on. It's his covenant. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, 
to restore the land and so on. Now, he's speaking here to the people, but only the people of God when Christ is the head because Christ is the covenant. This servant song, because this is another servant song, is speaking about Jesus Christ. In chapter 42 and verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. It is a wonderful and a beautiful picture that Jesus, when he was preaching in the synagogue, said, this is about me. This It's not about the nation state of Israel. This is not about the Jewish people. This is about me. I will be the light for the Gentiles. I will open eyes that are blind and free captives from prison. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. Now, we don't often use the word covenant. Um, One of the few times that we do use the word covenant is in terms of marriage. And one of the interesting things about the whole same-sex marriage debate and so on is how the word covenant is being erased. So it's contract now, not covenant. And that's one of the most significant things about that, by the way. But covenant is an incredibly important idea because it's not a contract between us and God. It's not God saying, you do this and I'll do this. It is God making an agreement, but in which he is the king, he is the authority, and he is promising to his people something that can never be taken away and can never be wiped out. And the guarantee of that is seen in Christ. So, to those who are alone, to those who feel far from God... We're being told it's the day of salvation, that there's a covenant, and that this covenant comes through Jesus Christ. But the purpose of it, he goes on, is to restore the land, to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. He uses an image, which of course, for the people to whom this was written, was phenomenally important. You're going home. You're in exile. You're imprisoned. You are suffering, but you're going home. And it's a beautiful, beautiful image. If you could put yourself in the place of somebody, let's say you'd been captured by ISIS and you were in Syria, and then you suddenly hear, someone has come and has set you free. You're going home. Imagine how you would feel just now. Imagine how that would... would, connect with you. Imagine how just the whole idea. Uh, I, when I was a student at Edinburgh University, I used to love getting the train home at the end of term, and especially this time of year, uh, just before Christmas. And you get the northern train, the train from Edinburgh. It used to take for ages to go up to, to um, Inverness, and then you had to get another one, which was the Orkney train, because I got off at a place called Fern. It just took forever, but always, it was just like a ritual, always I played a song, uh, which, and you, because in those days, it shows you how long ago it was, 
headphones weren't invented. Or if they were, they probably like you had to carry them massive, you know. So you just played it on the train. No such things as quiet coaches with everyone there. And people just joined in. Because all the Highland students knew this song. Um, in fact, their, this band, their album is, uh, their last album is coming out um, next month. And I, think, I believe actually they're going to be, at least in Perth, if not Dundee, Runrig. And they had a song, uh, Going Home. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song. Go and Google it and listen to it. Because you could, you could identify with it. Now, I'm not saying being in Edinburgh was being in exile, but it was close. And uh, I, I remember students who would go down to England and they would start going home, you know. And they'd combine that with the tenants advert for lager. And if you don't know, never mind. It's part of Scottish culture. Um, not tenants lager, but the advert. Uh, the, the whole idea of going home and Caledonia, let me tell you that I love you, that I think about you all the time. Caledonia's calling. Well, that's the image that's given here for the Christian of going home. And let's think about what it means. It means restoration. I will restore the land. I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. It means all those things that have gone wrong and twisted and sick in your life be restored. You think about your body, how your body decays and you grow old. And as again, I just love that last chapter of Ecclesiastes, which describes the fading and decaying body. But there's a renewed body and a renewed mind and a renewed spirit. There's restoration and there's freedom to those in darkness, be free. Sometimes somebody, maybe somebody here, has experienced such an overwhelming sense of darkness that, to be honest, you've been tempted to take your own life because it just seems the only way to be free. How do you get rid of this heaviness? How do you get rid of the darkness? And here, we're being told this is ultimate in freedom. God promises to his people, it's the day of salvation. You'll be restored and you'll be free, free in so many ways. Um, He promises to, to feed his people. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. Revelation 7 picks up on this theme and says, For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. That's why, by the way, when we bury a Christian, it's not a cliche. It's not um, trying to bring some kind of vague comfort. Oh, he's, like back to Bowie. How many people who don't believe in heaven said, oh, he's up in heaven playing with Jimi Hendrix? That's just a mockery of what the reality is. I don't know what happened to David Bowie, but I know this general idea that, oh, well, everyone goes to heaven anyway. So he's not just up in heaven playing with Jimi Hendrix, but he's up there with Adolf Hitler and Stalin as well. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Lord's people go to be with the Lord. Those who are not the Lord's people wouldn't want to anyway. They've already said that. That's the decision. You decide not to follow Christ. You don't go to heaven. That's your decision. But when we bury a Christian and we mourn, what we are mourning for is for ourselves. We're mourning that we are going to miss them. 
We're angry, if you like, at death because death is the last enemy. We're mourning for their family. But for them, we are not mourning because they are in ultimate freedom. They are free from their pains, free from their sorrow, free from their suffering, free from their sin. And God feeds them. And I love this, that he feeds them on the barren hillside, by the way. The most unlikely places are the places of pasture. Let me say this to you as well. If you are a Christian, brother or sister, you may be in a very barren place. Maybe that is the very place that God is going to feed you in a way that will absolutely stun you. He feeds, he guides. The people don't wander through the desert aimlessly. Their shepherd king will never forget them. He leads them beside springs of water. John Calvin says this, the church is governed by Christ in such a manner as not to be free from the attacks and insults of men and is fed in such a manner as frequently to inhabit barren and fruitless, I'm sorry, barren and frightful regions. Sometimes people will go, well, I believed in God until this bad thing happened, or I believed in God, but then this happened in the church, or this happened in the home, or this happened in my life, or this happened with my friend, or this happened with my relatives. And I would say, if that's enough to make you turn away from God, you're not turning away from the God of the Bible, because the God of the Bible over and over again says, you will go through hard times. You will go in the wilderness. You will go through barren times, but I will be there with you. I will travel with you. I will feed you. And that is just the most incredible place to be in. He guides, he feeds, he transforms. Look what it says. Uh, Sorry, uh, verse 10. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He he who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. And then verse 11, I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. What's that talking about? It's talking about the removal of obstacles. It's talking about how you're there and you think, oh, I I just can't get through this mountain. And God says, I'm turning this mountain into a road. I will remove the obstacles Nothing is going to stand in the way of God's blessing and nothing is going to stand in the way of God's church and nothing is going to stand in the way of the glory of Christ. And if you are a Christian, though you live in a barren place, though you yourself feel under enormous pressure, you are on the winning side. If you're not a Christian and everything's going great and everything's fantastic and everything's brilliant, you're still on the losing side. Because nothing will prevail against the triune God. He transforms. He takes the most extraordinary obstacles and transforms them. And then this bit, verse 12. See, they'll come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. I love that because God is saying to his people, you're a tiny people and I'm going to take you back. And no, you're not going to conquer the world in the sense of you're not going to become this mighty empire. But through you, I am going to bless all peoples. And he lists the north and the west and the region of Aswan. Now, I love the region of Aswan, and I'll tell you why. 
and it's because of our Malaysian and Chinese friends here. Because the Scots are not mentioned in the Bible. I'm sorry, we are not the lost tribe of Israel. But I think the Chinese are. And here's why. Aswan here, um, it's a word, sinim, in, in Hebrew. And it's the word from which, in English, we get the term sinologist. And a sinologist is somebody who uh, basically studies China, the Far East, as it was, it was called. And there are people who argue about this, but I like this, so I'm going to stick with this. There are people who say, no, no, it means kind of the northernmost tip of Saudi Arabia or whatever. But there are others, and, and there have been since this was written, who thought that this referred to a promise of God to bring uh, the Chinese. And I believe that in Scripture, whether that's true or not, I believe that there's a, in Scripture there is a promise that God will bring people from all uh, over the world. And, you know, sometimes people will go, well, I can't believe in God who uh, saves Western people but doesn't save Chinese or African people. And I'm going, don't you know your history and don't you know your Bible? I just, I like reading St. Augustine. I read Augustine this week. And he, you know what he was saying? He was telling the people in North Africa, listen, there are Christians outside North Africa. Not every Christian is an African. You say, What? He really thought that. that people, there were people who really thought, yes, they did. They thought that to be Christian was to be African because that's where the center of the church was then. And there are Christians outside Western Europe and outside America. And I think one of the most amazing things that's happening in the world today is how God is working amongst the Chinese. And I think that in this verse here, we're given at least a hint of that that God will bring people into his kingdom from all different places. We do not worship a Western God. We do not worship a Scottish God. We do not worship, we worship the God of the whole world, the God of the whole universe. And in his providence and in his mercy, just as he said to Paul and Barnabas and the others, no, don't go east, go into Europe. Maybe what's happening today is God is sending people or his spirit uh, work in uh, what is happening in Africa is extraordinary, and what is happening in China is extraordinary. Imagine the Jewish people, this tiny group of people, and they grasp and they are told that God is going to bless the Chinese. And so, verse 13 there's a shout for joy, you heavens, there is praise. There's a hurrah, if you like, of mission accomplished. It's like, um, as will inevitably happen, when in May, Dundee return to the streets of Dundee with the Scottish Cup. There will be celebration and rejoicing all around. Um, maybe. There would be if we did. Uh, mission accomplished. It would just be wonderful. It would just be great. Well, this is the, that kind of thing, of course, magnified many, many times. God will complete his mission. There's a Christian Union mission uh, coming up in a, a week's time. And be good for us as well. We're going to have Michael Lotz here uh, a week on Sunday evening. And he's going to be speaking at that mission. Here's the great thing, if you're involved in that, or as we pray for it. It's a very simple thing. The mission's going to be accomplished. God is going to bring in his people. 
And what we're doing when we have missions like this, we're just part of that. And we can do so with confidence. The mountains. Burst into song, you mountains. Mountains, I think, in this context and culture, were were places where good tidings were shouted, once corrupted by human sin, but now liberated. God's people sing. We are a singing people. We raise our minds, says Augustine, to the power of God, as his power is seen everywhere, especially in the salvation of the church. How do I know that God, Jesus is alive, and how do I know that God is still at work? I'll tell you one of the reasons I know. It's because of you. Because none of you would have believed in Jesus unless Jesus' spirit had been at work. You're not the most likely candidates to be Christians. Neither am I. It's only because of God's mercy. And that should give you hope for your friends and relatives and others as well. And so he says this, come on, be, come out and be free. Now, there are, um, that's kind of easy to say, isn't it? Saying to the prisoners, come out, and they say, but I can't because I'm in chains. I can't because I'm behind walls. I can't because I'm imprisoned. And we can go out to people and we can say to people, and I can say to you here, be free. And yet, you say, I can't. I just can't do it. And you're right. But we're going to sing in a moment, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. How can that be? You can't break off your own chains. You're not Superman. You're not Superwoman. You're not God. The chains that hold you are far too strong. They are the chains of sin. They are the chains of your own weakness. They are the chains of society and the chains of culture. So how can that be? I went to see a film called Reverent. Uh, Not recommended if you're squeamish. That's all I'm going to say. Because the term bear hug will never have uh, 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 the same meaning for me uh, again. So, but beautifully, beautifully made film. And here's the paradox. It's a film, and I won't give away the plot. There isn't much of a plot, and if you've seen the things. Um, but the, the filming of it, the filming of the scenery in, in British North Columbia is stunning. And you, you have to see it on big screen. Now, on, on a small screen, it won't work. And you see it in big screen, and it's just, oh, my goodness. It's, wow. It just really is. And yet, in that extraordinary beauty, this is an ugly film, by the way. God hates violence. And this is a violent film. But it's very, very real. And it's the kind of thing that I, I look at and I go, I, I, you know, there were parts of it I just couldn't watch. You just, oh, I can't watch this, I can't watch this. And it would really, in fact, it would really, really depress you. In fact, it did depress me because it's no uh, really Disney-esque ending. But Revenant, it's interesting, it's very, very close. I have to admit, I didn't know what it meant. I thought, Reverent. Oh, it's about a minister. Um, so I've got to go and see this one. And, and of course, it's not. 
Revenant means this. I didn't know this. So, and maybe you all knew it. Maybe I'm just stupid. Or maybe you're all learning a new word and you're going home um, more intelligent than you when you came in. Uh, revenant just means someone who comes back from the dead. And strangely enough, in that film, it's a wonderful performance by Leonardo DiCaprio, by the way. In that film, this idea of someone coming back from the dead, it's there. But it's not someone who comes back from the dead in order to save, but to get revenge. The only way that you can be free, the only way that your chains can fall off, is because of someone who came back from the dead. But he didn't come back from the dead to get revenge on those who had killed him or those who had abandoned him. He came back from the dead to free those who had crucified him because of their sin. Verse 14 says, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. And if you want to find out about that, you're going to have to come back in a couple of weeks because that's what we're going to look at. But when a Christian or even a non-Christian say, Lord, you've abandoned me, you have forsaken me. Jesus doesn't argue with you and say, no, I've given you this, 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 and this. All that you need to hear is the gospel. Jesus gave himself for you. How is it then possible? Use your head. Think. How is it possible for the God who gave himself for you to then say, nah, I give up on him. Had enough. I'm done. That doesn't make any sense in any world whatsoever. And that's why the Christian is able to be fed in the most barren land and to be free, and to see light in the darkest place. And I want those of you who are Christians to recognize that. I don't know. Most of you, I don't know your personal circumstances. None of you do I know your heart or where you are at, and you don't know mine. But I don't need to know. I just need to know that Jesus died for me, and that Jesus died for you. And that he who spared not his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So wherever you are, if you belong to the Lord, he belongs to you. And all of these promises are there. And if you're not a Christian, I refer you back to the very first phrase that was used. In the day of salvation, I will help you. Maybe, just maybe today, you've been questioning, you've been seeking, you've been asking, you've been running, you've been fighting, and maybe today is the time for you just to stop, and when God invites you, you say, that's it. Okay, today is the day of salvation. C.S. Lewis described himself as the most reluctant convert in all of Christendom, and maybe you've had to be dragged, screaming and kicking, to this point where you say now, I believe and I commit myself to follow Jesus. Or you might be the opposite of that. You might be like a lady I knew who was so convinced that she was going to become a Christian at a particular event that she literally ran all the way to the church and basically ran in and said, now, save me. Well, of course, the preacher couldn't, but Jesus did. I mean, he obviously had been working in her life. And it's as simple as that. You just decide to follow Jesus and not 
to turn back. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, because this promise encompasses the ends of the earth. You're from Africa, you're from China, you're from Scotland, you're from America, wherever. No matter where you are from, you follow the God who gave himself. You commit yourself to Jesus Christ. And today will be the day of salvation for you. Some of us are not able to recall a particular day. Others are. There are some of you I know who have a spiritual birthday. My favorite is still the guy who wrote me and said, on April the 6th at 3.13 p.m. in the afternoon, I was born again. Well, most of us are not able to be that precise. But maybe, may it just be that for somebody here, you'll go, you know, January the 17th, 2016, that was the day of salvation for me. And every day since then has been the day of salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your promise to your despairing and discouraged people. Thank you that the promises of God last forever and the threats of man or devil fade away. Thank you that today is the day of your favor. Today is the day of salvation and grant that all of us would be aware of that and receive your salvation with thanks and with penitence. In your name we ask it, amen. We're gonna finish by singing the hymn I mentioned and can it be. We'll stand to sing and please remain standing for the benediction. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.